If you have a copy of God's Word, we're going to continue our study this morning uh, in Genesis. Uh, actually, we're going to try to cover uh, Genesis chapter 19 um, here this morning. Um, again, Genesis chapter 19, we're going to try to cover here this morning. Uh, it's a famous text. Um, a lot of people have, they might not even be believers, might not even ever read the Bible before. But they always say they know what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, but let us walk through the text together. Uh, I think there's a lot more to hear than what the world tells us about this text. I think this text is encouraging in so many different ways. Um, but I think um, we have missed out on enjoying the goodness of God in Genesis 19, regardless of God's judgment on, certain, on a certain community. Um, let me read God's word and um, walk through it and and, and see what the Lord is going to reveal to us here this morning. Genesis chapter 19, starting verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom. I would say two messengers, or some people say two angels. The two angels come, came to Sodom in, in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth. And he said, My lords, Please turn aside to your servant house. Spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, no, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he had made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. Verse 4, but before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded, surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Verse 6, Lot went out to the men at the entrance and shut the door after them, after him. And he said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become to judge. The judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Then the man said to Lot, have you anyone else here, son-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out to the place, for we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his son-in-law, who were, were to marry his daughters, oh, get out of this place. For the Lord is about to destroy the city. 
but he seemed to his son-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angel urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two, two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, and Lord being Lord be merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him aside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back to or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords. Behold, your servant hath found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills. But the disaster overtake me, and I die. Behold, the city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor, also that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. Verse 23. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, suffered fire, suffering and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew the city, those cities, and all the valley, and all the inhabitants of the city, and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that, it, so it was that when God destroyed the city of the valley, and God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow, overthrow when he overthrew the cities of which Lot had lived. Verse 30. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in, the, lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come unto us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may pre preserve offspring from my father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Verse 34. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father, lest us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And she and the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab, and his father of the Moabites, he's the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name 
Benami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. So let me pray for us. Thank God for the reading. There was a lot of reading there, but I think it's so much the Lord is going to reveal to us. Let me pray for us and ask the Lord to help us. Our Father God is in heaven, Lord, we thank you for it, for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. Lord, we ask you, Lord, to enrich us in your word today. Let us see that, Lord, your word is here to encourage your church, uh, to build your church up, Lord, to encourage us, Lord, to walk in a way, Lord, is honoring to you. But also, Lord, for us to remind you, Lord, even in our failure, Lord, you rescue your people. So, Lord, let me preach this word faithfully. Um, Lord, anything in my notes, Lord, is not of you, Lord, remove it from it. Let your people be encouraged, Lord. And let your people, Lord, um, receive God's word, Lord, in a way, Lord, that can build them up. Help me, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. One of the unique things in the world is a lot of people say that you must eat a lot of protein, right? Eat a lot of meat to be strong. To be the strongest person in the world, you must eat a lot of steaks. Like, steak isn't healthy. Um, eat a lot of steaks. But is that really true? No. Look upon creation... We can see something unique. I don't know if you guys ever thought about it. An elephant is a vegan. One of the strongest animals in the world is a vegan. It's an elephant. Is an elephant a rhino? It's a vegan. What about a hippo? You guys see a picture of the hippo? Normally you see the hippos fighting up other animals. But on a day-to-day basis, a hippo is a vegan. What about a bison? Bison are huge, right? You see them in Colorado with the little antlers, and they are just so strong. They're also are a vegan. A little beast, even a horse grazed the ground. Sheep and even deer. So I don't know if you guys see anybody go hunting. They might kill a deer. And they might say that deer was 400, 300 pounds. And it's nothing but muscle. And what does that deer get it from? From eating pretty much grass, nuts, and other things that are not meat. Even some whales you might not know. You might see a picture of these killer whales going around eating all the animals. But a lot of the whales are actually vegan. They eat planktons. And they are also vegans as well. Did you guys know these things? So all these animals are vegan and we think about that doesn't make sense. How did these animals get so strong and get so muscular and have so much weight to be the biggest animals and they're vegan? It doesn't make sense. Well, not just animals. What about actual humans? I don't know if this list is true. I just Google it. I don't know. I think KJ sent me this list, so y'all talk to KJ about it. Uh, some say that Ricky Williams, the running back for Ashley for um, the Texas, I think he played for the Miami Dolphins, and he smokes a lot of weed all day. But they say he's a vegan. Strong guy. That's that Venus Williams is a vegan. I don't like to say I'm just going off the list. Some say Tom Brady uh, is a vegan. So if y'all want to be a quarterback, the best quarterback ever, just be a vegan. But what I'm getting at here is the list goes on with vegans. And so it doesn't probably make sense of, it seems like within the world around us, societal is that the more meat you eat, the more protein you eat, the stronger you may be. Well, the reason I brought this illustration in is uh, something else that didn't make sense in this text. I mean, it doesn't make sense, people might say in this text. How, is, how in the world is Lot considered righteous in 2 Peter? All these things we just heard about Lot, 
But the text tells us that Lot is righteous. I think Lot is righteous the same way we are righteous. We are righteous because of someone outside of ourselves. Amen. And so if you look at the life of right, uh, Lot, you will say that there's no way he'll make it to heaven. But if you look at the mirror of all of our hearts in this room, there's no way to any of us to make it to heaven apart from Christ. Amen. So good. how does this vegan stuff make sense and how does it make sense? Let's walk through this test today and see what the Lord is going to reveal to us. We're going to do it today in four points. Um, I should have you guys out here early. It shouldn't be that long. I'm pretty short, so. Um, four points. The first point is going to be Lot, distressed in Sodom. Point number two is going to deal with the hearts that aren't satisfied in the Lord. <clears throat> point number three, the faithfulness of the Lord in the midst of Lot's failures. And point number four, Lot and his daughters after God's after God destroyed Sodom. And before I get into this test, and I'm going to talk about it here shortly, the ultimate goal in this test is not homosexuality. Let me just make that clear. A lot of times we take this test and use it to talk about homosexuality. That's not the most important thing in this text. I'm going to go ahead and tell you up front, the most important thing in this text is that God saves sinners. That's the most important. So let's get our minds in that right now. If our mind kind of wondering all this, no, God saves sinners. The most important thing in this text and I think we need to grab this text back from our world that uses this text and everything just to be able to use it against the homosexual community. This text is actually referring to how God saves sinners. So let me jump right into it. Lot, distressed, and Sodom. Um, we're going to see this in verse 1 to 3. But we know that now in verse 1 talks about these two angels. So I said again that these two angels, the same word angels, the same word messengers of the Lord. So these two messages of the Lord, they left Abraham, we learned last week. Now they are with Lot now in Sodom in our test today. The two messages came from Abraham last few weeks to encourage Abraham of a son. Abraham and Sarah have been fearful in the past. And all these years, they still don't have that promised child. They're still waiting. Our God has came to them in vision that Abraham and Sarah, you will have a child. You will have a child. And they said, Lord, it's 12 years have passed. We still don't have a child. Then Sarah gave Abraham her maidservant, Hagar. And they had a child called Ishmael. But Ishmael wasn't that promised child. So for God, it's not working fast enough for them. They put it in their own hands and they still don't get the promised child. They get a counterfeit child. Again, Abraham is fearful. When is this baby's going to come? So what did the Lord do? The Lord does the same thing he did for us. The Lord came down in human form. He came down to him after God telling him over and over, you're going to have a child. You're going to have a child. Then the Lord come down in person and said, Abraham and Sarah, even when they laughed at God, they came down and God said this to them. You will have a child in a year time. And his name will be Isaac. He even gives them the name of the child. And I showed you last week is that even when Abraham and Sarah, they didn't trust the Lord, and Abraham went into Hagar, and even when they laughed at God, they did all these things towards God, but God still came down to them that you're going to have a son. Because the promise was not based upon their works. 
The promise was not based upon them. The promise was based upon the father who was going to bring about his son regardless of Abraham. So God had a promise for them regardless of their failures. Another way God encouraged them as well, um, God encouraged them in, in a way of with Lot and Sodom. You remember we heard about Clodomar, uh, Clodomar, that went and kidnapped Lot. They kidnapped him and took him away from this wicked place of Sodom. And they kidnapped him. But the Lord preserved Lot by sending Abraham to save him, to bring him back. So Abraham, for him, knowing that God had saved Lot in the past, but now it seems like God is about to destroy Sodom now. It doesn't make sense for Abraham. That God, why did you have me to save Lot in the past, now you're going to destroy him in Sodom and Gomorrah. What is going on here? <clears throat> well, what's going on in here is that Abraham was seeing things differently. God was actually encouraging Abraham because God said, Abraham, his nation is going to be a mighty nation. So a picture of Abraham's nation is going to be a mighty nation. All the wicked nations around them must be defeated. So a picture of Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed, but God is saying to Abraham, your kingdom will live, but all the wicked kingdoms around you will be destroyed. It wasn't all about, in the sense of Sodom and their wickedness. Yes, there was wicked in Sodom. But God was encouraging Abraham in this, that Abraham, look what I'm about to do. I'm going to destroy Sodom. Your kingdom will be mighty. I think God is encouraging Abraham in this text. The brother is weak in his faith. He's struggling in his faith, and God is struggling. I mean, God knowing that Abraham is weak with his, by him struggling, and that God is letting him know, Abraham, look what I'm about to do in Sodom. But Abraham turns back and said, no, God, you can't destroy Sodom because Lot is there. But he didn't say Lot was there. He started throwing shots at God last week. He said, God, if you're a righteous God, how are you going to destroy Sodom if it's righteous people living there? So Abraham could have just kept it real. Instead of attacking God's character, he could have just said, Lord, my nephew Lot is there. Can you save him? He could have went to God, being straight up with God. God, can you save my nephew? What did he do? He tried to use guilt to get God to save him. He tried to say, God, look at your own character, Lot. If you destroy Lot, that means you're not really true to God. What, what Lot was trying to do, Lot was trying to, I mean, not Lot, but Abraham was trying to do, he was trying to use reverse psychology before the Lord. But we know God was already going to save Lot. Abraham could have just trusted the Lord, but he tried to manipulate God for his own sake, for his own heart. And this is just the roller coaster of one person in the Bible, y'all. This is just the story of Abraham. One minute Abraham defeats the kingdoms. The one man of Hagar has married another woman. Just a roller coaster here, up and down. And today we see another picture of unfaithfulness here. And now we're going to see it with Lot today. Even Lot is up and down, up and down. And I asked myself, I said, Lord, why are you continuing showing us the character of these people? He could have skipped all this and painted these people just, you know, as heroes, 
Abraham being this amazing hero, everything good about him. Uh, he could have painted that picture. I don't know if you guys watch certain movies that certain characters always have everything good about them. And they paint a picture of a certain character in the story. Well, it seemed like God doesn't do this for Abraham. He doesn't do it for Jonah. God let us know that the people that are considered the most faithful people in the Bible are the most unfaithful people in the Bible. Mm. <laughs> but also God let us see is that for us in this room is that we fall in those same categories. We are so faithful at times that we are so unfaithful at times. We are faithful at this moment. We are unfaithful at this moment. God has shown us that there's no Christian that arrived there on this earth that got it all together. There's no Christian. I mean, only one is Jesus, right? Even for us being bought by the price of Christ, we still go up and down with our struggles. Not to give an excuse that, well, I'm going to be up and down, so let me just be up and down. But no, we are, in a sense of, we fight in this world, but at the same time, though, is that we still fall short at times. So Lot in our test today is going to show us. Lot actually moved to Sodom. We learned about that in Genesis 13. Um, Lot knew that Sodom was a wicked place, but he moved to Sodom because he heard that the place was watered everywhere. If you got a lot of water everywhere, you got a lot of vegetation. You can do a lot of gardening. You can do a lot of crops. So he saw this area, even though he knew the place was wicked, he was willing to move there for the sake of prosperity. So he saw the benefits of Sodom. And he was able to thrive in Sodom. We saw here in verse 1. Lot was sitting at the gate. Sitting at the gate is a player, a person that would, but that's, that's a noble. One person said this. In eastern cities, it is the market, the seat of justice, a social intercourse, and amusement, especially for the favorite lounge in the evenings. Um, so this would be a place of lounging. The gate would be a place for people there that had some type of credibility within the city. So Lot was known within the city. They respected Lot within the city for him to be at the uh, at the city at the, uh, the city gate, a place of influence he had. And there's nothing wrong with believers having influence in wicked cities. We should have Christians to run for offices. We should have Christians in the military. We should have Christians that are police officers. Christians are you know we should have Christians within society. Even though society might be wicked around us, we need to see more people in it. So Lot being in a wicked city is not bad because we need people to go to wicked places, right, to get the gospel there, right? So Lot being in a wicked city is not a bad thing. But only time it can be a bad thing when someone is in a wicked city when they're compromising. So a lot of sitting at the gate compromising is a different story. And 2 Peter 2 lets us know he didn't give in to societal norms at time in Sodom. One person says this, Lot is called just because he persevered himself uncontaminated amidst the surrounding wickedness. As long as he lived in Sodom, he maintained a character of an upright and holy man. The word used in 2 Peter on how Lot felt about Sodom is the word distress. Now, if you just read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, you would say that Lot was just wicked. That's why we got to keep all the Bible together. All scripture belongs together. Amen. So if you read 2 Peter, it tells us more story about Lot. It said Lot was distressed in the city. Many theologians said Lot enjoyed being in Sodom. That's why he was there. That's not biblical. 
Lot was there too. You got to think about Lot was there. Why was Lot was there? Based upon the covenant from Genesis 13. Abraham agreed to take the land of Canaan. He agreed to take the land of Sodom and all the areas dealing with the self sea. So Lot took this area, and that's the covenant, and said, hey, Abraham, you have this land, and I have this land. So he was tied to this land because that was the land that was given to him. So with Lot actually being in the land, that doesn't, commit, that doesn't make him a wicked man by being there. But what it shows is that Lot is taking the land that was actually given to him. So what does Lot do here? A lot of distress in the town. He sees a lot of unfaithfulness around. He sees people not trusting the Lord. But Lot, what I'm heard hearing in our text from 2 Peter, he was distressed to see the wickedness there. So we see right here, this is a good thing from Lot. That Lot really see the holiness of God here in this text. The Lot sees people are wicked around him. That he is in this place, but he's not of this place. That's a good thing of Lot. So everything about Lot isn't about just his unfaithfulness. We also see Lot's invitation to bring these messengers into his home. So they won't have to deal with the wickedness of Sodom. That's another good trait of Lot, isn't it? He tells these people to come into his house. This is a good thing here. Not sure was Lot trying to hide the messenger from seeing all the wickedness, or to add towards God's—I mean—to add towards God's anger, anger, or Lot wanted to invite the messenger in over uh, into his house so no wrong would happen to them. I'm not sure that he didn't want them to see the wickedness or that what's wicked is going to happen. But we can truly say that Lot opened up his house to these men. But we do know that Lot did not want them standing in this town square. A town square would show the messengers how really this wicked this place is. Lot, Lot was like, nah, y'all don't need to stay here at this time. This place is wicked. You can hear about my voice, this place is wicked. You guys don't have to stay here to see that this place is wicked. And what Lot done is that Lot did the same thing to Abraham last week, last couple weeks, how Abraham brought the messenger to his home and he fed them. Now Lot brings them to his home and he feeds them. Lot is showing to us that he's displaying the character of a follower of God. Matthew Henry says this, Lot was good, but there was not one more of the same character of the city. All the people of Sodom were very wicked and vile. He said nobody in Sodom was near, nowhere near the character of Lot. So we can learn from Lot to stand on truth in the midst of a wicked world around us. And Lot wasn't careless about it. He smoothly invited them into his home. Not to stay in a town square. Come here. And so he, what, he argued with them. He persuaded them to come into his home. He wanted to care for these messengers that he called my Lord. Pretty much his masters. The scripture tells us that he pressed strongly to them to stay with him. He pressed in on them. And the angel did, and he fed them a good meal. So we see in this first point, we see this picture, Lot was distressed in Sodom, and Lot invited them into his home. And he didn't want them to stay amidst a wicked place. 
brings the point number two. Hearts that aren't satisfied in the Lord. If Lot is trying to live right in Sodom, why would the people in Sodom want to be around them? Since they enjoy wickedness, right? Should they continue living in wickedness with themselves? Why would they want Lot to enjoy them, to join them in wickedness? Because I think what First John just said, that darkness, won't, wickedness, or, or those that are walking in dark, they want others to walk in dark with them. The darkness want everybody to join them in that darkness. That's why when people don't want to change in life, guess what happened? They start judging you. They start telling you, you think you're better than this person. Because they want you to live just like them. Something about wickedness love company. Or darkness love company. All these things over and over when many of you guys have wanted to change your life, want to get new friends, the old friends, you know, try to pull you back in. It's no coincidence. That's how the law of darkness works. It wants dark company. And we say misery love company. And Satan rebelled against God. And Satan when everybody else rebelled against God with him. So the people of Sodom want Lot to be just like them. Now we see in verse 4 that when they finished eating, they lay down. The men of Sodom, both young and old, all the males went to the house of Lot. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? So the men in the community wasn't looking for Lot, but the people that came into the town. And the people were, and the people that came into the town were, seemed like it was all males that came here. So Lot went to the door to see what the men wanted with the messenger. And let's see a couple observations. The first observation we see here, the first thing we see how far a man would go to satisfy the desires of the flesh. And the men said, bring them out to us so we may know them. The same word know is, the same word is in Greek, but we use it also in the Hebrew is um, gnosko. It's the same word we use also in Genesis 4 verse 1. You guys remember when now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Knew or know is the same word, different tense. It's not just knowledge at times. Sometimes it might be used as talking about head knowledge. But sometimes it talks about sexual relations. Some try to downplay that this text is not related to a sexual text. But the context of the text lets us know that it was a sexual text. All the males wanted to know them, not in the sense of head knowledge. They wanted to know them and have a relation with them. So the context is clear about homosexuality here. So this isn't the only wickedness in Sodom, but it's one of the ones we've seen here so far. One person says this, we may know them. The men of Sodom seek to humiliate Lot guests by raping them. While the attempt of rape is terrible, other Old Testament passages let us know that God condemned raping. And also God condemned homosexuality. But many people like the Canaanite, they continue to practice such things. Another word, someone said the term sodomy. What's the word come from what we get from Sodom? Derived from this passage. It is widely held that the severity of God's judgment of Sodom had to do with the prevalence of homosexuality there. And let me say this right here. It is so disturbing to hear how Christians have 
called out the homosexual community, but not call out the heterosexual community for infidelity for someone that's not their spouse. So let me say that again. I said it out pretty fast. It is so disturbing to hear how Christians call out homosexuality within the community, but do not call out heterosexual infidelity. For a person that's not married, that's sin. Sex outside of marriage is sin. It is so disturbing to see how those that are considered heterosexual, they're okay with the smaller sins of lying and gossip. When you talk about homosexuality, that's the big sin. Fam, all sin is heinous before God. Amen. Many have made homosexuality a big sin, but anger, not being kind to one another, gossiping, partiality, injustices, all these are small sins, but homosexuality is a big sin. Fam, that's not biblical. There are actually those that struggle with same-sex attraction. There's those that struggle with lust. That are fighting their sins daily that will be in heaven forever. It's those that are fighting their sins of homosexuality. They are fighting harder than some of us that are, that are struggling with lying and not even fighting over that. Mm. It's those that are fighting their sins daily and they're struggling with attractions and they will be before God forevermore. But it will be some that are not fighting the sin of homosexuality that love the sin of homosexuality, and God will judge them for that. Homosexuality is forbidden by God because God created man and woman for his glory. How do we know this? We know this from Genesis chapter, um, Genesis chapter, the chapter one, chapter two. But for Adam, there was not found a help or fruit for him. So the Lord calls, Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up his place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, into a woman, and brought her to the man. Then the man said, that This at last is bones of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father, his mother, and hold fast his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Well, reading that in the Old Testament, we would say, man, that's pretty cool that man and woman supposed to be together married with each other. But I'm glad for the special revelation of the New Testament that Paul lets us know what does that really mean? If the ultimate goal is for Daniel and Sharon to be married, KJ and Mibi to be married, and Alexis and Leando to be married. I'm going to stop there before I mess up the names. Um, it's the ultimate goal for them just to be married. Paul lets us know it's more than that. Marriage has a goal like everything else has a goal. How do we know this? Let me read a couple of texts. Let me read this from Ephesians 5. Paul lets us know the purpose of marriage. This is why homosexuality is wrong. Because the bigger purpose that God has for man and woman. Listen to this. Why submit to your own husbands as to the Lord? For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body in himself is, is Savior. Now, at the church, as the church submits to Christ, so as the wives should submit 
everything to their husbands. Verse 25. Husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Why are they using the similarity? Christ and the church and the bride and the church. Why is it using all this? It said Christ loved the church. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, Amen. so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated him his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, he takes us back to Genesis 2, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and two shall become one flesh. Listen to this. I think this is an important verse out of all Ephesians 5. Please highlight the verse 31, I mean 32. The mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What he's getting at is that the ultimate goal for marriage, for us to see Christ daily in the sense of a Christ, how he gave himself for his bride, a husband give himself for his bride daily. It's a picture of Christ every day. There's no excuse for a husband and wife not seeing Christ in the home because Christ has given us this sample, this type, right? A relationship with Christ in the church, we get it every day as those that are married. So marriage points to this glorious picture how Christ has died for his people, how Christ has cared for his people, and husbands do the same thing. And the whole picture is sanctification. God uses marriage in a picture of sanctification. That's why some of us spouses, we're married to a spouse that we're totally opposite of, aren't we? Totally opposite. But God knows what we need to conform to him. He knows exactly what we need to conform to him. So sometimes our spouses, it's really hard to be around our spouse. But the Lord gives us that. We need to be around them. We need the hardness because we need to see who we really are. So how does the point to so point two is that? The reason for knowing his spouse is points to Christ in the church. Homosexuality, it doesn't give us that. It doesn't give us that what God is doing between Christ and the church. It, we miss it on the beautiful picture that Christ died for his bride. And we get to see that as a woman and a man are together, it points to a glorious picture of Christ in the church. So family here, as I move forward in this text, I think we have done a poor job in actually in presenting that glorious picture of the gospel to our people that struggle with same-sex attraction. Struggle, we struggle with, uh, I mean, presenting the picture of the gospel. We, we are so, in a sense of, uncomfortable, in a sense of we throw things out there and we belittle and we slander and do all these things instead of comparing them as that. This is why it's so special, because we get to see Christ every day in this particular relationship. Amen. So we compare them by Christ, the sin of beauty of Christ. And I say this right here as I transfer is that I hope this test right here causes us to be compassionate. A lot of those that do struggle with same-sex attraction, you might not know they pass. 
I mean, I heard so many stories of what happened to people at a young age. And a lot of times we throw all that out the window and expect the person to be just like them. Family, people have a past. And we are to be considerate and careful and walk them through. And that's not just so you're a believer, you forget your past. No, that's not biblical. Our past, in a sense of, it doesn't define us anymore. Christ defines us. But we look back at our past and see what Christ has brought us from. But we don't just forget what everything about us because what Christ has brought us from. So family, I want to kind of clarify that in this text. That, that this text right here is showing us also encouraging us to see that God condemns homosexuality. But also we see that God does care for those that are fighting their sins daily. And I would say for you, that are struggling with same sex attraction at the time, keep fighting. Keep fighting. I am rooting for you. And this church is rooting for you. And we want to walk with you through it. And we are not here to judge you, but we want to love you through those certain things. Through those, I mean, through those things. And we know that temptation is hard. Temptation is hard for all of us. So you can't walk this by yourself. Let us come alongside of you and walk this with you. But I'm proud of your courage. I'm proud of you getting up every morning and fighting every morning. I'm proud of you. Continue fighting. And as you fight, you have a Savior right there with you. It's rooting for you as well. The second thing we see here, we see how far a man's heart will go to get out of the situation. Lot begged them not to do this wicked thing. He even offered his two daughters for sexual relations here. So they wouldn't have sexual relation with these messengers. So he offered his daughters over to them. What kind of father would offer his daughter to these wicked people? A selfish father. A father that thinking about himself and not his daughters. This is offering his daughter up as a form of prostitution. So that his guests can be comforted. So let me care for them. And let me actually... Give away them. Family, the root of this is a form of another form of sin. This is just as heinous as what the people in Sodom is doing. A man to give his daughter away and kind of giving off his daughter, pretty much selling his daughter off so these men can be free. It's heinous before God. You are wanting to do a person to do whatever you want them to do for the sake of a benefit, for the sake of freedom. Lot put down God and his daughter, what he had called to protect his daughter as a father, to protect these angels. He thought he was faithful to the Lord by just protecting these angels. But it's more than just protecting these angels that, that, that cause faithfulness. It is honor to the Lord to keep his word for him to be a father to his daughters. So Lot was to care for his daughter, not give them to these men. So Lot's solution was very dishonoring. And family, for us to see this as well, at times we think we are honoring the Lord by going to work every day. But if we're not using our time wisely every day, we're dishonoring the Lord. If we're talking about people, we might want to make them work on time, but we're not being polite to people dishonor the Lord. Family, we must be honoring to the Lord at every moment of our lives. It's not a, a time we choose when we want to be kind. As Christians, we always are kind. 
People know us because we are kind people. Lot wanted to pick and choose. I can honor the Lord by protecting them, but guess what? I can give my daughters away and be dishonored. No. He are to honor the Lord with both. The third thing we can see here, man's heart doesn't have limits how far it will go. The men now get so upset with Lot for protecting the messengers that they now turn from the man to pursue Lot. Lot been living all these years. Why they haven't pursued him yet? Since they couldn't get what they want, now they go so far to satisfy the gratification of the flesh. My argument is that why they haven't pursued Lot yet? Because the, because the Lord knows these messengers that the Lord sent in his human form. These messengers were uniquely sent out by God to bring out what was in Sodom, what's always been in Sodom. The Lord made sure that these messengers were exactly what the people of Sodom wanted. Why I say this is that the Lord was trying to expose Sodom's heart here. The Lord just didn't send any type of humans or any type of angels. He sent certain angels to come in to come to Sodom for Sodom to go ahead and act out how they truly been acting. Because the angels was to go down there to see what's going on in Sodom. And they see it. They see in the desperation to go against the Lord. The men want to follow the flesh desires. Move to our next point. Point three as we get ready to end. The faithfulness of the Lord in the midst of Lot's failures. As the men of Sodom wanted the angels, then they wanted Lot, the messenger pulled Lot back into the house. Now the messenger is like, enough is enough now. We've seen enough. We got enough. What we told Abraham, we want to go see what's going on. We saw enough now in Sodom. So the messenger said, pull back into the lot, pull Lot back into the house. They struck the men of Sodom with a form of blindness. They couldn't see how to get into the house. They were trying their best to get into the house, but they couldn't get into the house. Said it was groping to try to get into the house. Said in verse 12, the men said to Lot, have you anyone else, your son? And, uh, well, after they tried to get in, the angels came in and said, the men of, uh, said to Lot, have you anyone else, son-in-laws, daughters, anyone you have in the city, bring them out of this place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against it, people, has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. This before the Lord now represent now, the Lord was able to see it now. The Lord saw all things, but now the Lord was able to see it in his face, what's happening in Sodom. There's no excuse. The Lord sees what's happening. So Lord tell Lot now, get your family ready. I'm going to destroy this place. The Lord had witnesses now. He has totally witnessed before the face of his messengers what was going on in Sodom. The Lord warned Lot to get his family out of here. The Lord will uphold his glory and his promise. Sodom would not be a mighty nation, but Abraham, the Israel people, will be a mighty nation and have a mighty king. So God sent enough to say Abraham's kingdom will be over this kingdom. In Abraham's kingdom, we know points to Christ's kingdom. 
to destroying Sodom is a proclamation to Abraham. I told you, Abraham, that your kingdom will be a mighty kingdom. So Lot obeyed the Lord and told his family, it's time to get out of here. Let's leave out of here. But the scripture said they were jesting. Jesting is the same word in Hebrew as used when Sarah laughed. It's the same word mean laugh. So when Abraham asked them to get out of here, they laughed. They saw this as a joke. Some of your version might say joking. Some of your version might say laughing. Some of them might say jesting. They didn't take them serious. So the son-in-laws returned and laughed a lot. Took it as a joke. That sound familiar, doesn't it? When old Noah was building the ark, it doesn't say they was laughing, but Noah pleaded with them. He was a man that preached righteousness, but they never came into the ark. It's the same thing that happened is that the people right here that Noah has, I mean, that Lot now has pleaded with, they're laughing right here at them. We know also Lot didn't quickly leave himself. Even though he was laughing, it even said Lot lingered for some reason. He probably thought he had more time to get his son-in-laws. I'm not sure. Some people say he was kind of comfortable there. I'm not sure. But it seemed like Lot wasn't quickly getting out of Sodom. But regardless of him not quickly getting out, what does it say the Lord does? He did here. The Lord took him by the hand, just like he did for us, all right? Now, Evan, when we came to Christ, a lot of our sin, we lingered. We didn't want to give those things up. We were still having our head turned back and forth, right? And sometimes, I mean, and what did the Lord do? He grabbed us out of that. And that's what he did for Lot. He grabbed him out, even though Lot was enjoying, I mean, not saying enjoying, even though Lot was taking his time here. The Lord continues faithful. He goes on and says this in verse 17. And as they brought them out, and one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh, no, my Lord. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills. Let the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, the city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor, also that I would not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The Lord let Lot make it to Zoar. The Lord was kind for him to make it. And Lot was right there at the time and said, Lord, I can't make it without you. Lord, please give me time. Lord, help me make it there. So the Lord grabbed him out. The Lord gave him time. You can see so much grace of the Lord in the life of Lot. And now we see Sodom is about to be destroyed here. The sun had risen in the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Verse 25, and he overthrew the cities and all the valleys and all the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. 
me and Alina actually got a chance to go to the Dead Sea, and it's still all salt in that area still to this day. Uh, it's called a salt sea. Um, I don't know if this was part of when the salt actually began to be there or when what happened there when, when all the fire and, let's say, brimstone, all those things came down. Not sure knowing the history of this place. But we know that the place is still inhabited, right? I mean, still this has a big salt content there today. But also, Sodom today is still a place that is still kind of not inhabited. People are there in the area, living in the area, but there's no vegetation in that area anymore. The place is nothing but dry, hot land, dry land, with a lot of sand. So even history shows us what something that took place here in Sodom in history. And what did the Lord do? The Lord protected his people in the process. But Lot's wife wasn't his people. She was faithless. Instead of looking to Jesus and looking forward and trusting the Lord in faith, she looked back to what she lost. She wanted what was in Sodom more than what she could get in Christ. But Lot was faithful when he was saved. God made him faithful. God poured him out. But Lot's wife looked back as in trying to go back or missing out on something. And she turned to a pillar of salt. The Lord God destroyed the city and the valley and destroyed everyone else. But verse 29 tells us that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow of the city which Lot had lived. Did you guys catch that in verse 29? God remembered Abraham. Lot was saved by faith, y'all. Yep. One person said, I think the key to this puzzle is found in Genesis 19, 1929 about if Lot was saved. So it was that when God destroyed the city of other valleys, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of over to other over, overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. When we connect the dots, we discover that Lot was righteous because of the gospel. In Genesis 15, 6, we find that Abraham believed and this was counted to him as righteous. That is to say, Abraham was justified by faith and was, and as we see in Genesis 12 through 17, the Abrahamic covenant is a testament of the justification by faith. Paul seems to say as much in Romans 4 and Galatians 3. So then how was Lot righteous then? The question here. Lot was righteous in the same way that you, that you and I are righteous by trusting in the God of Abraham. God remembered Abraham in Genesis 19.29 whose faith was counted to him as righteousness. The only biblical consistent answer to the question of how Lot was righteous is 2 Peter 2.7 is that Lot, like Abraham, and Lot believed God. Lot was righteous not because he acted perfectly in, an instant, uh, in, uh, in a wicked place with two strangers before him in Genesis 19. Far from it. But we know from Peter that he was troubled by sin and saw sin around him day after day. He was troubled by it. So what we're saying is that Lot believed God, just like Abraham believed God. Lot was saved by faith, and faith was what brought him out of Sodom. Lot was brought out by faith, by the power of God. And the last point says it right here, that Lot was saved. Now what about his daughters? Lot, and his, Lot 
and his daughters after God destroyed Sodom here. Lot only have left his daughters now. The men that the daughter was going to marry, they didn't make it. The wife didn't make it. Only person made it was Lot and his daughters. But Lot, right? The, 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 the most notable thing in this community at this time is for people to have family, they have kids. And so the daughter is like, man, and it tells us in the text, like, there's no one for them to know now. There's no one for them to marry now. All the people that was going to marry is dead. So what did they do? Put it in their own hands. <laughs> it reminds you of Hagar. I mean, Sarah and Hagar again. If God is not going to give me something, for they put it in their own hands, and what did they do? They get their father drunk. And I would say Lot don't get a pass on this. I, I would say that Lot probably should have been careful. After he drunk the first time, he said, okay, I cannot got to stop this. Yep. Um, it seemed like there's no restraint from Lot in here. It's not pushing to get, no, this is dishonoring to the Lord. So I think Lot is part of this. He's not in a sense of off the hook in this. But the daughters here are acting just like the people in Sodom now. This reminds me of Noah. God flooded the whole earth, right? And, he, and Noah just seen what God just did, y'all, to the whole world. Then two minutes later, what Noah do? He get drunk. Now God just scored Sodom and Gomorrah. Now they get drunk again. Is this some connection here? Why I got to be drunk out there? Why can't it be something else? I think it's a connection here. I think it's, it's God that's showing us how quick man heart is. God can be so gracious and save people, and people forget that grace. That's so true. But God is showing us here, could that be us this morning? God has been so good to us every single day, but every time, almost every single day, we trample upon that grace. He's shown us over and time again of his kindness. But what do we do? We trample upon that kindness for licentiousness. And I think that's what happened here. These daughters just saw the most brutal thing they ever seen. That fire is coming down, destroying the whole town. They even lost their mother. And they let you stole something too. A lot of times we think people are going to turn from their sin by just scaring them. You're going to go to hell. You're going to go to hell. And a lot of times you find out somebody say, I believe in Jesus so I won't go to hell. Then later on in life, right, they continue in certain ways that they say they, was, they don't want to go to hell and they want to abstain from. Fear in the sense of going to hell only can keep a person so far. But what's in the heart and everything is that whatever you want is going to eventually come out. We don't compare people by hell that they're going to go, that, 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 we don't compare people that says that you're going to go to hell. We compare them of a savior. That Christ has died for sin. Yes, people will go to hell. Real, hell is a real place. But we compare them by the gospel. That Christ died for sinners. That come to Christ. Come find rest in Christ. We compel them by resting in Christ. If you don't come to Christ, yes, it'll be hell. But we compel them by the grace. We see here in this test is that them seeing Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed, it still wasn't enough for them, was it? They still did some crazy stuff. The only thing that can keep us family 
is truly resting upon a gentle and lowly Savior. Let him be our guidance. Before we get angry and lash out, we go to him in prayer. We trust him at those times and not trust in our flesh. As we end with a couple applications here. Well, let me say the for application. Well, the kids of Lot's daughters became the Moabites and the Ammonites. And if you notice that they're going to be the two of the most biggest kingdoms that's going to go against the Israel people. Now these people of Lot family, now they're another counterfeit family. They're not the real family. It's the Ammonites and the Moabites. Now this counterfeit family finna try to go against Israel now. But if you notice this, y'all, think about this. This is pretty cool. I saw it this week. It's pretty cool when I was working through the test. Think about this. Almost all of Israel kingdoms, or all the people that's been against Israel, all of them have been counterfeit. All of them, been, they, they came and developed because man not trusting the Lord. Think about Esau and his activity. Now you call the Edomites, right? All the people that came from the people, what, the, the, the uh, 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 Ishmael, the Ishmaelites, all the name is like, they're creating their own enemies. They're creating their own enemies to go around them. You already got the Canaanites there, right? And the Jebusites, you already got enemies against Israel, but now you're seeing the same people that's coming from the people of faith are the same people that are going to go against them. It seems like unfaithfulness brought about these unfaithful groups. But in actuality, I think Israel played a role in creating them. And we cry out all day alone, for, even for our own lives. A lot of times, we put ourselves in terrible situations. And we are quickly, a lot of times we say, Lord, get us out of this. And the Lord does get us out of these things. But a lot of times, for us, we put ourselves in those situations. A lot of times we make enemies on ourselves because of our flesh. But even in that, God's going to bring Israel out of this. He's going to bring us out of this. First application. Whenever you feel pressure to be like the world, you don't have to give in. Lot lived in a place probably worse than Palm Bluff. But look at Lot. He was very involved in the city. He was able to stand on righteousness in the city. Family, you can stand on righteousness. Whatever your job requirements, responsibilities are, you can stand for what's right. You can thrive in a wicked world. Lot is an example of that. May we don't follow the pressures of society to fit in, but rest on God's truth. Second thing. May we don't judge people that are struggling with same-sex attraction in a way that's dishonoring to the Lord. May we be ready to care for them. May we be ready to love them. They don't have to sit on the opposite side of the room. Let them sit beside you. Amen. It's nothing different because we all in this room are fighting some type of attraction to these things in this world, some type of lust, some type of idols in our own heart. So maybe be ready to care for those that might be struggling with those same sets of directions. And lastly, may we at times 
when we feel like giving up, we feel like there's no way to get out of our place lifestyle, maybe we look to Jesus. That every time we feel like the door is closing, there's no way out, the Lord is always going to give us a way out. Yeah. So remember that. When things get so hard in life, you feel like there's nowhere to turn, fam, it is somewhere that you can turn. And that's to Jesus. And whatever the outcome may be, it might not be what you envision. It might be totally different from what you envision. But our gentle and lowly Savior will give you what you need to care for you in that moment. And I tell you guys to trust him in that particular moment. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us.